So this morning, I'm going to be utilizing this right here. If you're not familiar with one of these, this is a nativity scene. You ever seen one of these? How many of you have one of these in your house? If you don't have one of these, that's all right. Probably there's people who will look at you awkwardly, and you can just make them uncomfortable by saying, we don't have those. And then just let that kind of hang there, make them uncomfortable. This is a, a nativity, nativity scene that I purchased in Bethlehem, where you in a gift shop where you could also apparently purchase slivers from the actual Christ cross of Jesus. So apparently it was a very large cross because 2,000 years later, there's still slivers that have been put into little plastic bags and are hanging on a display in a gift shop in Bethlehem. Being the depraved, wicked, cynical, negative kind of person I am, I had some doubts as to whether they were actually from the cross of Jesus. So, but we're going to be talking about this this morning. Um, if one thing that is true, if you have a message, if you have a product, if you want, if you have something that you want people to accept, embrace, engage with, utilize, make a part of their life, it's all going to depend on how you market it. Even if your marketing consists of trying to say, hey, David, I got this book I really think you ought to read, okay? It's all in how you market it. If you don't market something well, you're probably not going to get the response you want. For example, in 2015, Burger King decided somewhere around Halloween, hey, let's have a new marketing strategy just to get some notoriety, let's get some public notice out there, get people in the door. So they came up with a Halloween Whopper. The only thing about the Halloween Whopper that was different than the regular Whopper was that the buns were black, that they were made with black food coloring. The problem with the black food coloring buns is that it didn't take long for word to get out that we went in black, it came out green. <laughs> or it made everything else that came out green. Not a good strategy. Also, there was another marketing by Cheetos. They came up with Cheetos lip balm. Yeah, Cheetos flavored lip balm, which apparently to somebody who got their nose close enough to your mouth, smelled a lot like moldy cheese. So those are two marketing strategies that didn't work. What I want to look at this morning is another marketing strategy that seemed like it would have been doomed for failure. And that is the Christmas story. Okay, the Christmas story. In fact, that's what I'm going to use this for this morning. That basically what I want to talk about is what I call the group of people called the Christmas players. And that's the people that you typically see in a nativity scene. We're going to talk about the Christmas players. And that basically it was three different types of people in this group of players. Three different types. The first type we're going to look at is the disappointments. There were players in the story that were disappointments. There were another group of players that I like to call the whatabouts. I'm going to explain what that term means. They're the whatabouts. And then the third group is what I call... 
Uh-oh, I knocked somebody over back here. Third group of people is what I call the religious wrongs. Remember, it was what, back in the 80s, there was a group that kind of surged out called the religious right? These guys are the religious wrongs. I'm going to explain that in a minute. So I want to start with the first group. That's the disappointments. And that would be, you want to guess? Joseph and Mary. Okay, Joseph and Mary, two people that were already engaged. But let's read the story. Now I'm going to be just giving you small bites of the story because on Christmas Eve, you're going to get the whole Christmas story read. And so for each of these people, I'm just going to give a couple of small bites of scripture. So in Matthew chapter one, uh, starting at verse 18, says this, the birth of Jesus Christ came about in this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. So her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. And then it goes on to say this, and it talks about Joseph a little bit in, the, in verse 20. It says, but after he had considered these things, that everything that was going on, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, try to put yourself into this story. And you could place this at almost any time in history. A young girl has a fiance, and it turns out she's with child. And so she says, oh, I didn't do anything wrong. It's from God. How many, what percentage of the people around her do you think would believe this story? I remember when I, at first church I was going to, there was this one guy who I guess he thought he could market this concept. He uh, had a girlfriend, he had a girlfriend, they became engaged. And then he said, well, yeah, as it turns out, uh, or then when she got pregnant, after they got married, then they announced that she was pregnant and that it was going to be premature. Signific it was going to be significantly premature. And most people are kind of going, really, do they know that at this point in the pregnancy typically? And oh yeah, well the doctor, you know, it's kind of like everybody's going, what, what do you, is, we know what's going on. It's not, you know, you don't have to lie about it. But you know, it's that sometimes this is a hard story to believe. If, you're, if you've grown up reading the Bible, believing the Bible, you're familiar with this and makes sense. It's normal, but put yourself in that time. What if Mary was your sister? And she says, I'm pregnant, but it wasn't Joseph, it was God. You'd be like, yeah, whatever, Mary. Okay, you know, yeah, we'll just say that. Yeah, because that's believable. Everybody will believe that. But see, Mary had a visit from an angel. And this angel came and said, hey, this is from the Holy Spirit. This is from God. This is a great thing. This is an incredible thing. This is a unique historical event that you're going to be a part of. And so Mary has this experience, a visit from an angel, and then she says, okay, if this is what God wants, then I will accept it, and I'll go along with it. And the angels said, great. So they've got this conversation. And now, how is Mary supposed to tell her family about this? 
Oh, yeah. And Joseph, <laughs> who knows two things. Mary and I have never been together. Mary's pregnant. Mary's my, that's the third thing would be Mary's my fiance. We've never been together and she's pregnant. Let's do the math. Is there someone else involved? You see, Mary is innocent. Mary knows it. The angel who visited her knows it. God knows it. But will anybody else believe it? Will anybody else believe it? Joseph, who it says is a righteous man, doesn't exactly explain why, but the word righteous back then would mean that he was honest, that he had a good reputation in the community, that he actively practiced his faith, that he was a regular at the synagogue. And here he is now. He's got a fiance who's pregnant. Not everybody knows it yet. So, you know, it's still kind of an internal thing. So what's he going to do? He's got a couple of choices. He could say, ha, she's pregnant. That wasn't me. And walk away. And that would be considered an honorable thing. Nobody would think less of him for doing that. If he did that, though, what do you think would happen to Mary? She's got to go back home. So mom and dad, Joseph broke up with me. And I'm pregnant by God. And I want to come home. I want to, I want to live here again. She probably already still lives there, but meaning it would be her home. It's not really her home anymore. Now, they've got a couple of choices. They can believe her. Yeah, that's a stretch. Or they can say no, and they can disown her. If they disown her and Joseph says, we're done, she's got nowhere to go. The only option before her would be prostitution to survive for her and this child. But Joseph doesn't break up with her. Joseph is considering all these things. He didn't react right away, which says a lot about him, a lot of good things about him. An angel visited him and said, Joseph, she's telling the truth. She is pregnant by the Holy Spirit, and she's going to have a son, and he's going to be the savior of the world. Make sure you name him Jesus, which wasn't really a super unique name back then, but it was, whatever, it was the name that God wanted for him. So he, so he goes, all right. So he basically puts all his chips on the table. If he takes Mary on, the pregnant girl who says she was pregnant by God, uh, how do you think that's going to fly? They leave town. They go to Bethlehem. Probably because Joseph's family told him, if you, if you marry her, you're done with us. Typically, a young couple would go back to live with his parents, and they would work in the family business. That was normal. That's the way it would typically go. But they leave, and they go to Bethlehem. Now, just so you know, Bethlehem was a small town. Bethlehem was not a place you go to. Bethlehem was a place you go through. Think Gila Bend. That was Bethlehem. Seriously, it really was. People would go through Bethlehem. They might spend the night. 
they would eat, get supplies. Nobody went to Bethlehem and said, hey, let's, let's plan our vacation to Beth. Let's do a destination wedding in Gila Bend. How often do you hear that? No, you don't because you don't go to Gila Bend. You go through it. Same thing with Bethlehem. So they're on their way somewhere else. They end up in Bethlehem. And guess who appears? Jesus. And there's a whole story there that you hear about on Christmas Eve. So please come back for that. Oops, looks like Joseph got turned around. Looks like he and Mary are having a little conflict there. He's got his back turned. So, you know, all right. So I'm sorry, honey. No, I love you. And no, dinner was great. I love your mother. Everything's fine. All right, there you go. Make up. Okay, so there they are. And then there's another group of people. This is a group that I call the whatabouts. You know who this is? Shepherds. Okay. Shepherds are often sort of portrayed as these kind of young guys and they're herding sheep and, you know, they're kind of really nice. So that was, uh, let me see, this guy right here. This is a shepherd. Okay. The shepherds, I call them the whatabouts because shepherds were awkward. They were this group of guys who didn't, who kind of just were always out on the fringe. Uh, they didn't go to temple. They were always dirty because they lived with sheep. Most of the time they camped outside. They didn't, they didn't keep the law, the Mosaic law. And they were kind of known for being sort of rowdy. I mean, you get a bunch of guys together who live and work together outside. They're probably not singing Kumbaya and mowing lawns for little old ladies. They were kind of known as being that uh, always out on the edge, probably causing trouble. If something went wrong in town, they would assume it was probably one of the shepherds. And that's the shepherds were those whatabouts. You know, they're the people that sometimes at church, you have that guy or that person or that group of people. And it's like, you know, it'd be really great if they came to the potluck. But what about what about them? What if they, you know, they're loud, awkward, say something, you know, they probably don't cuss any more than any other church people do. They just do it out loud more often. And so it's that they create those moments that are uncomfortable and difficult. And so they're out in this field, the whatabouts, the shepherds in Luke chapter two, starting at verse eight, it says in the same region shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flocks. If we can put that up on the screen. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. Now, often in paintings and presentations, you see angels as being very lovely little harmless creatures. They never look scary, do they? They kind of look very, oh, look, it's an angel. They're so pretty. Usually they're girls and they just have soft wings. Anytime you see an angel appear in scripture, what typically follows? Yeah, the angel says, don't be afraid. Why do you, you know, if I walk, if David walks up to me and he goes, John, don't be afraid. You would expect that there's a reason to be afraid if he has to tell me not to be afraid, right? So angels appear, and the first thing out of their mouth is, don't be afraid. So here's all these shepherds. They're sitting around. It's at night, and suddenly angels, plural, appear, <laughs> and they say, don't be afraid. And the shepherds are kind of going, uh, 
I'm afraid. <laughs> I'm afraid. And they said, today a Savior, who is Messiah, or Christ the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. And then it says, they hurried off, down at verse 16, they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a feeding trough. So suddenly they're here with their baby, and a shepherd shows up. Hey, how you doing? Thought I'd visit. God told me you were here. Send some angels. You might be familiar with that. So maybe they swapped angel stories over, you know, looking at the baby. I don't know if Mary felt like, okay, you can look. Can you look from maybe over there? You know, because you kind of smell. You're dirty. And I don't want you trying to steal something. I don't know what happened. But you got three people who have something in common. They were all visited by angels. Kind of, kind of unique. Kind of different situation. But so, yeah. These guys show up, and then it says, after seeing them, in verse 17, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. So somehow they went, I don't know if they went to other shepherds, I don't know if they went into town, I don't know who they told, but they started telling people what they saw. Not, and you can imagine some people had some doubt. A shepherd says he was visited by an angel, so he went and visited a baby who is the son of God. Okay, sure. That's a little weirder than most of the stories that come out of your camp, but all right, whatever. But, you know, were they believable? Did they have credibility? Probably not a lot of that, but God commissioned them. God sent them. Now, the third group, this is what I call the religious wrongs. And this is, now, how many of you have ever heard the song, We Three Kings of Orient Are, Bearing Gifts We Travel So Far? Okay, first of all, number one, they weren't kings. They weren't kings. Uh, we don't know if there were three. We just know that they brought three gifts. Okay? In fact, there was probably quite a large group of people that came with them. The Magi... These, these guys were kind of, well, they were astrologers. They, they looked to the stars, and then they would advise kings. They would announce kings. And so they were visited, angelic visitation, and told to go to Bethlehem to announce a king. They show up in Israel, and they say, hey, we're here to announce the new king. Well, Herod gets wind of this and goes, uh, we already have a king, and it's me, and I'm pretty much, my pattern would be to kill anybody who challenges that. So Herod isn't in that, but he's also thinking, wait a second, somebody who thinks that they are king, and it says that he had every boy at two years of age and younger killed. So it's very likely that these guys did not appear when Jesus was a baby lying in the manger. They showed up at some other time. And so it used to always irritate my mom whenever we would come over and I would see the nativity scene set up. So I would always take the Magi and I would place them over here because, you know, they weren't actually there that day. They were on their way there. Okay. But what's interesting about these guys, their job was to announce a king. So it says, after Jesus was born, wise men 
from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So entering the house, when they got to the place where uh, Mary and Joseph are, now it says entering the house. See, now they're not in the barn anymore. They're not in the, the cave or wherever the livestock was kept. They saw the child with Mary, his mother, and falling to their knees, they worshiped him. These guys were a lot of wrong things when it came to the religious people. They weren't Jews, which means they were Gentiles. Basically, for the most part, the only racial division you find in the Bible is Jewish, not Jewish. It's kind of like songs by Leonard Skinner. Freebird, not freebird. <laughs> Just saying. Or, as we talked about last time, Tommy Two-Tone. There's Jenny, Jenny, 8675309, and not. <laughs> and there's all the other stuff he does, which isn't much. But anyway, it's just, that's the way it was. These guys are not Jewish. They're Gentiles. And they're supposed to announce the king of the Jews. Also, they don't keep the Mosaic law. They're not even proselytes. Everything about them religiously to, the, to God's people is wrong. They don't believe right. They don't worship right. They don't think right. And guess who God says, you got to go check out this new king. Because you guys announce kings. That's what you do. And so that's, that's who God picked. And so, basically, what just happened here? <laughs> well, it's described actually in the New Testament as well, in the book of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 1. It says, for since, in verse 21, for since in God's wisdom, the world did not know God through wisdom or its wisdom, God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of the message preached. The Apostle Paul has written this, and it's interesting that he's writing to people who were not primarily Jewish. And he said, essentially, God made a decision. I'm not going to bring this message. I'm not going to market myself to people and try to appeal to their sensibilities. I'm not going to try to make myself sound palatable or make sense. They're going to think it's stupid. They're going to think it's foolish which is going to make it that much more powerful. It says that God was not going to try to make sense to people. And then it goes on down in verse 27. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. An example is, how many times that I've seen people who have been to countless treatment centers, countless professionals trying to deal with, say, trauma from their past and been able to have the opportunity to see them engage with, open up, and choose to believe that God loves them? 
that God created them because he wanted to, that he loves them because he chooses to, because they were so valuable to him that it was worth him, God of the universe, becoming a human being and taking upon himself every sin ever committed by every person who's ever lived something that none of us could ever do for ourselves, let alone everybody else. If there's someone who knows where like a water bottle is or something like that, if I could get one, that would be really great. Thank you. I don't know why, but suddenly, oh, thank you very much. Is that yours? I mean, are we sharing here? No offense. I mean, I'm really thirsty, so I'm going to take a risk. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Jordan, but he was a little faster. Thank you very much. Instead, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. I've seen people who've been through all that, but yet they choose to believe that God loves them and can heal them. I remember speaking with a woman. She was in her 70s when she's telling me this story. And she said that occasionally she still finds herself waking up in the morning curled up in a fetal position in, the, in her closet because that's how she used to have to hide from her brother when she was a child. And through a lot of opening herself up and choosing to believe truth and seeing the power of the word of God, she was released from that bondage. I remember the day it happened. It was, it was no less significant than seeing an, a limb that was missing suddenly appear. She went from still living in fear of an abusive brother and father who had both died years before to being free and experiencing that freedom, experiencing free. And that's just one small example of something that is difficult to make sense to anybody who doesn't want to believe in God, who doesn't want to believe that God's power can do something like that, that God's word can bring about healing and freedom. It can seem foolish, and it often does. And yet God still forgives people. People still find freedom. People still are able to accept and receive God's unconditional love and forgiveness. It still happens. It still happens. And so God has decided, how am I going to present myself? I'm going to take on human form and offer salvation to this world that I created. And so he makes some decisions. He decides he's going to become a human. He's going to take on human form. And he's going to be born to an outcast peasant couple who had some ridiculous story about being pregnant by God. Nobody believed it then. Probably nobody believed it later. Well, they finally did once Jesus rose from the dead, some of them, but not all of them. He was going to be born in a small, dirty stop on the road, not in the capital, not in a palace. Instead of being announced by an army of angels, 
priests. He was going to the first people to find out about this and to make this announcement about these about this outcast couple, this the disappointers. We're going to be the whatabouts, the shepherds who had very little credibility, no religious credibility, had the dirtiest jobs, nobody wanted to be around them, and the magi who nobody really understood anyway, because I don't even know what those guys believe or what they do. And if I went into detail about them and just what would have happened when they rolled into Bethlehem is just incredible because just literally they probably would have been a few hundred people because of there would have been army protection, servants, or non I mean, it was just, it was a big deal when those guys rolled in. Can you imagine everybody in town going, what are they here for? Like, what, why do they, what are they doing at their house? Yeah, that's that young couple with the, doesn't live with his family. Some story about their kid. I don't know what it was. This is how God decided he's going to introduce himself to his creation. He didn't go after the most religious people. He didn't go after the shiniest examples of religious or spiritual devotion. He went after people who disappointed their family, who nobody wants around, and then another group that nobody understands or even thinks really are godly or whatever. God, this is what happened. God intentionally chose problem people, disappointments, whatabouts, and religious wrongs. Maybe you fit one of those groups. I remember I, when I first came into a relationship with God, I started at zero. I was a blank slate. I literally didn't know Easter was about Jesus till I was 19. My family growing up weren't anti-church, anti-God, but just more indifferent. Parents weren't into it. We weren't into it. You know, but I had a group of friends in whom I saw a difference and I knew I wanted something, I wanted that or something like it. And it turned out that they called themselves Christians. So I started hanging out with them. And then one day I prayed. I'm a guitar player. My friend had invited me to go play with his band at this retreat. They were kind of desperate because they needed, they really wanted a guitar player who was a Christian and didn't cuss. I was the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> and he just goes, John, I, I really need you to be careful of you with your mouth. I'm like, what the? Oh, okay. But so I spent the weekend with them. And at that time, I'd been thinking about it. I remember on a Saturday afternoon, literally thinking, you know, those guys have a reason not to do certain things or to do. I don't have that. I wonder what that's like. So I started thinking about it. And then at the end of that whole retreat thing, I prayed. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't even know what prayer was. I didn't know who I was praying to. I just said, okay, God, I, I think I want you in my life. So I went and told my friend Rich, hey, I think I prayed or something. And he goes, oh, did you say the sinner's prayer? And I said, I don't know. I, I think I just prayed or something. And then he goes, well, did you invite Jesus into your heart? And I go, I don't, I don't know what you're talking. I said, I don't know. I just prayed. I I don't know what the hell I did. I think I just prayed or something. So, you know, I mean, sorry, did I just? Okay. <laughs> but the point is, I had no idea what I was getting into. I didn't know anything about it. I just thought, I think that's what I need. 
think that's what I need. It didn't make sense. And so, yeah, I was probably, I was probably this guy. I was a shepherd. I was the what about guy, you know, started going to church, offending people a lot, saying the wrong thing, not saying it right, thinking I'm funny when you're just not here, you know, that kind of thing. Maybe you fit into one of those groups. And maybe you wonder if like, well, I'm really not the kind of person God would want to use, you know, and I, well, I don't know, maybe you are. Maybe you are. Because look at the group that God chose to be the first announcing team. The front line of his marketing strategy. Maybe you'd fit right in. God met them right where they were at. He didn't ask the shepherds. He didn't, the angels didn't say, hey, the Savior is here. Go clean up your act, and we'll consider you to help us with our implementation strategy. But you got a ways to go. They didn't say that at all. The angel didn't appear to Mary and say, yeah, Mary, there's going to be a little problem, so you and Joseph got some work to do. You're going to have to figure out how to make this look right. He didn't say that at all. He didn't say to the Magi, hey, I would love to use you guys and your services because you obviously are quite effective at what you do, Ugh. but you don't believe right, so you're going to need to go work on that. Maybe go get a seminary degree or something and then come back. No, don't say any of that stuff. God meets them right where they're at. And you know what? What was the story that they told? Because you know people had questions, right? They just told their story. Mary and Joseph said, yeah, I know it sounds crazy, but uh, yeah, we each were visited by, a dream, by angels in a dream. As it turns out, yeah, both of us. Shepherds, dude, I was there. I saw it, and no, we weren't high. <laughs> Magi said, we were just doing what we always do. We followed the star, and we found the king. It's told their own story. They didn't have to have any special experience. They didn't have to have answers to every question. The most powerful story you can tell is to say, God changed my life. Nobody can challenge that. Nobody can deny that. And if you can't answer any other questions, it's okay. Because if you can, if you can say, God changed my life, who's going to deny that? Who can say, no, that didn't happen? Maybe they don't want to accept it. Maybe they don't want to believe that it was God. But they cannot at all say that you don't have a changed life and that you don't know that it was God. And so as you go through your week and you wonder, wow, you know, would God ever want me to say something? To, would God ever want people to see him in me, in me? Yes. God wants people to see him in you. If he's in you, he would love for people to see him in you. Does that mean you have to go out and act weird? No, please don't. Please don't. There's a whole lot of people out there that want to tell people about Jesus and you just wish, could you just not talk 
maybe not even do that crazy weird stuff you do you know i mean just be a normal person and if when it comes up god will bring those opportunities just be a normal person tell your story if you get the opportunity you only, you're the only one that can tell your story and if you have said yes to god's love and forgiveness through jesus christ you have a story you have a story, and someone out there wants to hear it. Sooner or later, you're going to bump into him. It may be a very short conversation. It may be just one sentence. You might get the opportunity to lay it all out. You just never know. Just never know. Just be ready. Be willing. So God intentionally chose problem people, disappointers, whatabouts, religious wrongs. God met them right where they were at, and then they told their story. Christmas is one of those times of year where as a church, as believers, if you are a child of God, follower of Christ, that you get to tell your story on your turf. Christmas and Easter are those two times a year when a lot of people who don't typically go to church will go to church. They'll go with friends or family. And you get that opportunity that you don't often get. But every day, all throughout the year, whether you're one of these kinds of people or another misfit person or whatever, God meets you right where you're at, invites you to become his child, to follow Christ, even if you don't know anything like where I was at when I started. Even if you don't know any of that stuff, God invites you. He already knows you. He already created you. He already loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your love and forgiveness. God, thank you that you already know every single person in this room. You know us better than we know ourselves. You know how many hairs are on our heads. And you invite us to tell our story. That the opportunities will come. And all we have to do is tell our story. We don't have to tell someone else's story. We don't have to have an answer to every question. We don't have to know all the details of everything that happens. To God, we know what's happened to us. And so, God, I thank you for those hearts and lives in this room that have invited you in. God, thank you so much for that. God, for those who have not yet said yes to you, God, I pray that maybe today would take them one step closer to that, of just saying yes to you, believing that what they need is you, that you're their answer, that you're their future. And God, thank you for this opportunity to be able to share during this season Maybe some perspective on the story that we don't always get. In Jesus' name.